So it is my privilege to introduce today our guest speaker, Dr. Hugh Freeberg. He will be sharing with us today about his 39 years spent on the mission field in Africa. He served in Mozambique, the Republic of South Africa, and Swaziland, which is now known as Eswatini. He and his wife, Evelyn, have now retired to the Treasure Valley and worship regularly at Nampa First Church. They have three children, a couple of which live nearby in the Treasure Valley with six grandchildren. They continue to serve and to be a part of the mission of God faithfully wherever they are led. And we are so fortunate to have them join us today to encourage us and to challenge us as we consider what it means to partner in missions, both globally and locally. Welcome with me, Dr. Hugh Freiberg. It's good to be with you. Good morning. Yeah. It's, it's actually nice to get this perspective on the group instead of just from that side. So it's, it's there. you ought to do this sometimes. Stand up here and take a look at who's all here because it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, you're going to have two weeks at least of opportunity of, of really being the church. Because a lot of times we focus on going to church. But uh, it's really important that we be the church. And to, to keep that before us, that this is an opportunity to be the church. And find out what that means to each one of us and, and as, as families and uh, family units. So uh, I'm excited with you as you go this journey. I'm suspecting that if we were at home church, we'd be hearing pretty much the same thing. Because when we get together, there's a bunch of people that get together at Nampa First on a Sunday morning. Well, um, over several months in 1975 and 76, my Sunday evenings were the most difficult part of the week. I would stand at the, at the eastern door of, uh, of the prison of uh, Maputo Central Prison in, uh, in the capital city of Mozambique, focusing, in fact, we lived close enough I could actually see the apartment where we lived. And I would stand there and try to figure out, okay, are Evelyn and Gayla and Mike, are they there? Are they off someplace? Uh, what's happening to them. After a short while, I couldn't even do that because I knew that they were in South Africa. I'll talk about that in just a little bit, but my longing to be with them and to that, that sense of separation from my family was one of the most crucial issues of that whole experience. Uh, looking for some sense of what that all meant. Why was I separated from my family? What, where is this going? And, and so forth. But a growing awareness that the one who called me was not about to let go of me. But it took a while. I honestly didn't come to that just overnight. It took me a while of figuring out that he had called he was going to hold uh, through that whole experience. Well, the story had actually started a number of years earlier when I was dedicated by my parents to the Lord and to his work. Um, I uh, very early was a very sickly child. I know it's hard to look, you know, to see that now, but um, they almost lost me two or three times uh, as, a, as a small child. And uh, that helped them to renew their sense of dedication, uh, that if this child lives, he definitely belongs to God. Well, I picked on that. I picked up on that very, very early. It's not surprising in those days when missionaries and mission work was highly esteemed by the Church of the Nazarene, 
And uh, it they resulted in them actively placing me and my siblings, including uh, Trent's uh, youngest, uh, his, his father, who's my youngest brother, um, in the hearing of visiting uh, men and women who served in places with strange-sounding names, represented by flags that are kind of strange to us, but very different from the ranchers and farmers and, and uh, townspeople in Montana and Wyoming where we lived. Um, it just was kind of an introduction into, into a whole different world for me. Uh, Louise Robinson Chapman from out here in the, in the Mountain West uh, was one of those guests. And she came and lived in our, in our home for a few days and spoke at the, at the church where my dad was pastoring. And she talked about ministering the gospel to Africans in a place called Swaziland and treating lepers and uh, there being uh, snakes. It's funny how long ago that was and yet how vivid that, uh, that memory is. Uh, Black Mambas and I were never and still are not uh, best of friends, um, but I began to sense through that that God was calling. I, I, I think I might have even tried to negotiate with him a little bit that I'll be a missionary, just don't send me to Swaziland. You did hear where we spent, you know, yeah, 20 years in Swaziland, actually. But that leper and snake bit wasn't very much to my liking, still is not. But finding and doing God's will for my life was, no matter what it was, no matter what the cost. Uh, fast forward to college and graduate school years, I was still focusing on my desire to follow that calling. Uh, Evelyn was also uh, not necessarily feeling that she had a call to be a missionary, but willing to do what God wanted to do. We met, dated, and got married, and worked at fulfilling the the expectations of the Church of the Nazarene for ordination and missionary appointment over those years. Um, we were trying to fulfill academic and ministry experience uh, for ordination, and, and all that was finally fulfilled. We, we ended up in ministry in the state of Washington. Uh, once again, a connection here with, uh, with Trent, uh, not too far from where he was uh, by Puyallup. Uh, but um, a congregation, after about two years of 50 or so, farewelled us one day and sent us off uh, to be missionaries for the Church of the Nazarene. Wow, it, it was quite an interesting and experience uh, and, and, and exciting experience for us. Uh, we were sent to Portugal for language acquisition. There, Portugal's right there, the, the, uh, the flag. Um, language acquisition, but also cultural. Uh, we, got, we got very uh, into uh, Portuguese culture while we were there. Some things that are still best said in Portuguese, uh, no matter whether anyone understands or not. Uh, it really, really helps. But we, we were being sent to the Portuguese state of Mozambique in, uh, in Southern Africa. Now, this is Mozambique's most recent flag, um, and uh, that was introduced while, uh, while we lived in, in, in the country. Perhaps many of you would remember that during the years following World War II, a number of you won't, and that's, that's okay too, but many countries and peoples were uh, living in colonial empires around the world. Now, here in the U.S., we weren't maybe so aware of that, but there were places in the world that were very aware of their uh, colonial uh, background. They were struggling for political independence from countries like England and France and Spain and Germany, Belgium, and even Portugal. Uh, we were not so aware of that when we were sent off to Mozambique, only that we needed to learn Portuguese first. It was a time in Mozambique where 
that uh, resistance was resulting in armed rebellion. And the only friends that they thought that they had uh, were the communist countries. And so the, the, uh, the complexion of things began to change rather quickly. Portuguese people were very and justifiably upset at being, uh, seeing their sons sent off to war and their, and their resources being used up in a war that was far away. If you remember, Portugal is a tiny little country on the edge of Spain, and it had this enormous empire around the world. Uh, the largest section was Brazil, and it had received its independence back in the 1800s, but now the remainder was under, uh, of, of her holdings, was, was under, uh, under threat. Uh, Portuguese people, as I said, were justifiably upset that things were happening that they were. But to us, it just seemed like a long ways away. I mean, we're Americans. Nothing bad happens to Americans. We all know that. Um, and, uh, yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> there were, uh, we, we were living in the southern part of the country in the capital city. Uh, most of the problems were in the far north, up along the, Mos the Tanzanian border. Um, there was one other part of the, of the country of, Mo of Mozambique where there were difficulties that were happening, uh, but it seemed kind of sporadic and, and nothing much to worry about. By the way, it might just be helpful to realize that Mozambique is as long as the west coast of the U.S. So, I mean, it's not just a little country over there someplace, but it's a pretty significant piece of real estate. But sudden change began in 1974, the year after we arrived in country. Uh, overnight, following the revolution of the uh, Carnations, Portugal became a socialist uh, republic and decided to dissolve its empire overnight. They were going to do it in just a matter of, of, of months. Uh, decided uh, to give Mozambique, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, São Tomé, uh, East Timor, all the parts of its empire to someone in that country in a, in a, in a move of independence. So suddenly, everybody was on a fast track to independence. What in the world does that mean? No preparation for it whatsoever, and it was a rather frightening time. The fear of losing what generations of colonial Portuguese had accomplished led to an abortive unilateral declaration of independence uh, in late part of 1974. That was put down uh, rather, rather forcefully in 1975. In June, uh, Mozambique became an independent Republic, called the People's Republic of Mozambique. And if you've been watching, just that name tells you a lot. People's Republic means that it is dedicated to Marxist-Leninism, and it was dedicated to Marxist-Leninism as it began. And so all those changes naturally began to affect the church in country. Uh, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church had been strong for 500 years uh, under the Portuguese, but uh, along the way, Portuguese, uh, Portuguese Protestants had begun to spring up here and there, and all of us were rather uncertain about what, what the future would hold. Two months after independent, the political situation, and with the increasing anti-church rhetoric, uh, mission leaders across the country were we're carefully evaluating, kind of sounds like church board at Mountain Home and other places, carefully evaluating what's going on to know what is the direction forward. Um, for, in our case, it meant that we were, at, we were told by the church that we could go or stay as we felt that God was leading. Uh, 
And Evelyn and I had felt very strongly that we were where God had placed us and he was going to take care of us. And uh, we had responsibilities. I was at that point pastoring a Portuguese language church in the capital city. Um, but for some unknown reason, the Church of the Nazarene uh, seemed to be in the spotlight of, of the government. And perhaps it, because we were one of the earliest of the Portuguese uh, Protestant groups, I, I'm not sure. No one really knows. Uh, maybe someday we'll find out. Uh, but our mission director, Armand Dahl, was arrested and placed in jail uh, with no official charges. Uh, that was uh, quite a shock, obviously. The, the day after that, as the only other Nazarene male missionary uh, not in jail, still in country, uh, very visible because of pastoring this, uh, this church uh, in the capital city, I was also arrested and imprisoned without charge. Um, other Nazarene church leaders were also arrested during that time. And by the way, just to kind of, kind of fast forward a little bit, um, all of them without explanation or sorry about that or anything like that, uh, they were all released without trial over a, a period. The longest that I know of was held for 13 months without charge uh, in prison. A third American missionary made up a remainder of uh, what we came to call ourselves the cellmates, the Americans, uh, though there were uh, 500 people in a prison that was made for 200. You know, we were kind of this, this little unit in the midst of that. Uh, no fewer than five and, all we, and, and occasionally up as far as eight people in a, in a prison cell. It was hardly any wider than this and just about twice that long. So it was pretty chummy as you can imagine. Um, this, uh, this third uh, American was Don Milam, and he and his wife and a, a team of international workers, mostly from YWAM, uh, but also uh, Teen Challenge, uh, ha uh, had put together that, that team uh, to run a faith-based drug rehab center there in the capital city. Uh, he was arrested within days of independence. Once again, no formal charge and no trial. So you're kind of getting a picture here. This was, this was a country under a government that didn't really know quite where it was or where it was going. It didn't have opportunity to be ready for independence, obviously. Well, those arrests and the resulting imprisonment or detention began what for me was uh, arguably the longest and most difficult period of my life, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, lack of clarity, why am I here, what's going on, what does this have to do with God's call in my life? I have responsibilities. I have a family to take care of. You know, all those questions that kept coming up uh, was uh, very, very difficult. The sketchy conditions that, that we lived in, the, in the f facility where we were, um, and um, as an awareness that the, country, the country's prisons were filling up very quickly with people that the government didn't like for one reason or another. Um, as was mentioned, uh, we have three children. The youngest was an afterthought after all of this, but our first one was Gayla, um, who was just a, a little bit over four. Mike was a little bit under two and full of questions. Where's daddy? How come he doesn't come home? Evelyn and a couple of the, the single missionary uh, colleagues crossed over into the Republic of, of South Africa uh, at uh, the uh, insistence of the American government and the Church of the Nazarene because 
they could not guarantee any kind of safety for them. Uh, Evelyn and, uh, and the children stayed for about seven months along with uh, one of the missionary, one of the single missionary gals. Very, very difficult as they continued knocking on the door of the American embassy in, in Pretoria. Uh, you are taking care of these men, aren't you? And that sort of thing. It was, it was um, yeah, it was tough. And I don't want to overplay that. I don't want to underplay it. It was what it was. It was not easy. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Slowly, the Lord's care of us became clarified in four ways and uh, uh, four rather specific things that as I look back, I, I have seen. First of all is we always had food that was wholesome. Now, maybe not quite the, the spread that we enjoyed last night with the, with the dinner here, but we had food every day. Sometimes it was a little packet of crackers. Sometimes it was a whole meal, but we had food every day fixed by people who loved us and sent to us across town. And in many cases, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have transportation, so they had to come by bus and, you know, take their basket and bring the food. I mean, it was a costly adventure on their part as well. So it meant everything to us to know that people loved us enough to bring us food every day. Secondly, is we always had a Bible, or at least a New Testament, and uh, some, to some that may not seem like a big deal, but you're believers, you know what that means. Uh, to be able to go to the Word every day. Now, it was not legal for us to have those Bibles, and so we had to keep it pretty much under, under wraps, but uh, the Living New Testament version that my, my, my oldest daughter had became mine, and I only gave it back to her a couple of months ago. Uh, she, you know, it was mine all that time because that was how Jesus came and lived in our midst during that period. The third thing is that we remained physically well. Now, Armand uh, was approaching retirement, had been sick much of the time that he was in Mozambique, all different kinds of problems. When he was in prison, he was okay. And I think it's because people were praying. I honestly do. He was not exposed to all the stuff that was going on out there, except there were no screens on the windows, so mosquitoes and malaria infected southern Mozambique. You'd think we would have had malaria all the time. I, I really can't explain it except that God's hand was there. God was involved in that situation. So we remain physically well. I, and looking over my notes recently, I did find that a time or two I had a head cold. You know, that we can live with that. And the fourth thing is that we remain safe. And I know particularly my mom prayed avidly all the time, keep them safe, keep them safe. And... Uh, as a result, there was no torture. There was no physical mistreatment. I, we were shouted at a lot. We were abused verbally in many ways and the, uh, the uncertainty of that whole situation, but never a hand laid on us. Thanks be to God. Anyway, those are really important things, and, and I just kind of run through them quickly. But, but along the blessings of a limited connection with family and friends during those eight months was the receiving of significant Scripture portions um, Evelyn discovered lots of different ways to let me know that she loved me and that there were that God had words for me. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tried because it's never been an issue with you, but you can sort of unroll a toilet paper a little bit and you can slip notes in there. You have to kind of watch what you're doing, but you don't want to lose things. But you'd be amazed at the kinds of things that you can learn if you'll follow up on those kind of those kind of things. I, I didn't realize how many people in the Bible had been in prison until I was in prison. You, go, you start looking at 
what, what you find in the Word, there are a lot of the people of God down through the years who spent time under some kind of duress that way. Um, when I was re- released and returned to North America and re- received a lot of invitations to talk about the experience, I'd often focus on Romans 8, where we, where we were this morning. And so it's become my favorite chapter in the Bible. And uh, I just want to talk about that just a little bit, because, you know, you, don't, you didn't come just to hear a story. There's, there's, there's something from the Word for, for us this morning. So if you want to take a quick look back at Romans 8, it seems to me that Paul is drawing on his own experience. How appropriate is that? Paul drawing on his own experience as he thinks about what God has been doing in Christ. And, uh, and, and all, through, all through this chapter, you find expressions that, to me, sound like my experience. They sound like a man that has been imprisoned and that has undergone, undergone some kind of, of suffering uh, as a prisoner for the sake of Christ. And the headings in the NIV, life through the spirit, future glory, and more than conquer, that really links up with me. I, I think you were reading from the CEV this morning, and it's just a little bit different. But the, the whole idea is there that, that God has given us brand new life because of the spirit of God. Our lives have been transformed because of what God has done. And then it moves on uh, to looking forward that that. As a result of that, not only is our life different, but so is all of creation different. Did you notice that? All creation is involved in what God has done. Sometimes we think that it's about us, and it is, but it's about far more than that. It's about everything that there is. It has come under God's work of redemption uh, through Christ Jesus. Um, He talks about the law of sin and death and our being set free in the midst of that. Paul writes about the, the life that results from the triune God's actions in our behalf. Did you notice that as we went? He, he's talking about what God has done through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ's uh, work on the cross. And that, of course, creates a, an obligation. And I don't want it, that to take the, the wrong sense of drudgery, duty, obligation kind, but, but the joyful obligation of living my life in a different way because of what God has done for me and for all of creation. And it's not a life of rebellion any longer, uh, wanting to do my own way and to be my own person, but instead of one in the closest family relations with God himself and with all of God's creatures. All of this, of course, is part of that larger story makes reference to in that creation is moving forward in the freedom that God has given to us. You look at verses 18 to 27 and you see that. I like the, the expression adoption. I, I, I kind of think about that a lot when I think about this pastoral family and how important adoption has been for them and, and how, that, how that affects all of us as we think about that and redemption and awareness of of the spirit's intercession in our lives it's we're not in this thing by ourselves but but god the holy spirit is interceding for us but it seems like in verse 28 that everything comes to a real high point in in the whole chapter Uh, we become aware that in all things god is at work for our good as we checked into the hotel yesterday the lady said um, 
what's your favorite scripture? Because she found out by then why we were in town. What's your favorite scripture? So I, Romans 8, 28. And I quoted it to her. And she said, ooh, that's cool. Uh, it is. God is at work for our good. You know, sometimes we get the feeling like God's at work, and it's not necessarily good. But here challenges us to look at things in a new way and to understand that God is at work in our lives for good, for good. God hasn't spared anything good for us. Wow. He graciously gives us all things, verse 32. I can imagine Paul is thinking about all the good things, all the good that we experience that comes to us through the hands of God. But then Paul's reminded of the reality of what life is like for most of the people who live in this world. It's not all good stuff for, the, for many of the people who live here. There's trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword along with death and slaughter. They're pretty heavy words. We live here in America where I know we don't think of it that way, but we live pretty well. We live pretty protected. And yet, that's not the case everywhere. And Paul reminds us here in this passage that yes, God is providing everything good in this context, and it's amazing. We are made more than conquerors, and I think that's the point of it all. What is he trying to accomplish in us and through us in this world? He's trying to make us conquerors. And not just conquer, but what was the expression, dear? More than enough. More than just what kind of meets the, uh, meets the minimum. He wants us to make, he wants to make us more than all of that, that through him who loved us and gave himself for us. And then he finishes this, uh, this chapter in this section uh, with that uh, incredible expression that you all responded very positively to this morning, for I am convinced, wow, I am convinced, verse 38, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Think on these things. Think on those things. All the things that he has kept us from and kept us in and keeps us. Back along the way, when, I was in, when we were in prison, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our number found this statement, and, and I found it in two or three other, other places, and it, 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 it's worded slightly different in different places, but uh, I found it again recently in uh, the Daily Bread magazine, and some of you get that and, and use it. And uh, it was from March 4th, which kind of sounds like almost now, uh, several years ago, this, this statement uh, when uh, South African pastor Andrew Murray was visiting England in 1895, he began to suffer pain from a previous back injury. While he was recuperating, his hostess told him of a woman who was in great trouble and wanted to know if he had any counsel for her. Murray said, give her this paper, which I have been writing for my own encouragement. It may be that she will find it helpful. This is what Murray wrote. In time of trouble, first, God has brought me here. God has brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this situation. In that I will rest. Next, he will keep me in his love. 
and give me grace in this trial to behave like his child. Then he will make this trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means for me to follow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. I am here by God's appointment in his keeping under his training for his time. We want the instant solution, the quick fix, but some things cannot be disposed of so readily. This can only be accepted. God will keep us by his love, by his grace. We can rest in him. May the Lord be with you as you are his church in these days that come. Amen.